Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like I know somebody else who, you know, got rich and famous. Some a mutual friend was like, yeah, now, now his best friend is like this 76-year-old rich guy. Yeah. 76-year-old rich white guy. Like, at some point, those are the only people who understand. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> How is Chris Martin your best friend, Jay-Z? You used to sell cocaine. How are you hanging out with the dude who made yellow? That feels a little off. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another phenomenal episode of My Mama Told Me, the podcast where we dive deep, deep into the pockets of black conspiracy theories, and we work to prove that Idris Elba only jerks off to slightly younger pictures of Idris Elba. What do you want him to go on porn sites and look at regular people? Fuck no. That man needs to look at himself. If Idris Elba gets horny, he goes and watches Tyler Perry's Daddy's Little Girls. And he goes, oh, look at me 10 years ago. A gorgeous man. A beautiful man. And that's how he gets his rocks off. He's a sicko, but I respect it. Anyway, I'm your host, Langston Kerman. I'm happy to be here as always. You can already hear my guest voice. Oh, I'm so happy he's here. He's hilarious. He's such a great comedian, actor. You know him as uh, one of the creators of Sherman Showcase. You know him as one of the creators of Southside. You know him from Marlin. Just hilarious. Formerly my boss. Maybe he'll be my boss again someday. Who knows what the world will do. Give it up for my guest, Diallo Riddle, everybody. Thank you, thank you for that uh, introduction, Langston. And uh, no, I was never your boss, man. I was just—I was the brother holding you back and uh, sabotaging you at every turn. Sure, you—you you would be a full year ahead right now 
but uh, me and Bashir wouldn't allow it. You cut me off at my knees, and and (laughs) I can't thank you enough. I cannot thank you enough. (laughs) I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here, man, because, you know, here's the thing. I was raised in a household of conspiracy theories. Like, my father and my older brother, like, they would bring all these theories home. And literally, I, I knew not to trust the news from the age of eight. You know sure. what I'm saying? Like I was, I was just like, oh, look at look at Reagan's a very popular president. They disabused me of that very quickly. I Ronald Reagan. A, that, what that's the actually fuck? just the truth. That's yeah. just the truth. But what it did was it instilled in me a certain cynicism and a and a skeptic nature that uh, has stayed with me throughout my life. I love that. I listen as somebody who who lives in skepticism at all times. I thrive in it. I'm just happy to hear that you were raised that way. And I hope that you're raising your own children that way. I hope you're offering them. I, I put them in front of the TV. I say, believe everything. <laughs> here's here's why, because I'm using them as moles, if you will. Like, I'm, uh-huh. I'm literally going to integrate them into the world, you know, and then they can come back to me and tell me what the conventional wisdom is. And that's, sure. <laughs> that's, that's the system I've set up. As long as something corrupt is happening or at least building towards happening, I'm into it. Exactly. You came with a conspiracy theory that I think, if I'm being honest, is one that I I'm not sure that I I don't agree with. It's rare. It happens on this <laughs> that show. That had way too many negatives. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. Yeah, no, listen, I'm. Many- you I'm use trying two to dance. Or, or three <laughs> negatives, because if it's three negatives, then you don't believe it. <laughs> well, let's get into it. You said, My mama told me. Michael Jackson is innocent. Let's define the word innocent. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Okay, so here, here, here it is, guys. I'm going to be very honest. Mm-hmm. I saw clips <laughs> i didn't ever saw the whole you know documentary uh leaving netherlands but i saw some of the worst moments on on clips and yep. here's the thing i also heard and saw you know when i was reading articles and, and doing follow-up about the lack of just the dates didn't add up you know mm-hmm. they, they do that they do that really ominous you know zoom on the picture of the train station at neverland and then it turns out that that train station didn't even have that area in the year that they say that it did. Yeah. And, and I think that there's something, because I'm a huge fan of true crime documentaries, and I'll watch almost any episode of Dateline. And, you know, like when, when Making a Murderer came out, like I was watching that. Yeah. I, I feel like it was actually Making a Murderer that really showed me more than Unsolved Mysteries and all these other ones that, you know, just like any filmmaker, the people who direct these documentaries you know, they come to the, and I, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, it's biased, so you can't believe anything. No, that's mm-hmm. not true. But they do come with an agenda. And I just think the people who made Neverland came with an agenda. It's one person making a prosecutorial case against Michael Jackson. Yeah. Upon like just even like basic scrutiny, some of their dates and timelines fell apart. Now, do I think you start off by saying, do I think Michael Jackson is innocent? I actually will go so far as to say that I I wouldn't want my kids in those relationships with anybody, much less well, you know a pop singer. You know what okay. I'm saying? Like, I think you're you're speeding right along into this, and I think you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. But I think let's let's unpack a, a little back. bit. Okay. Let's unpack a little bit of what you yeah. said a second ago because I think it's important that from that Leaving Neverland documentary, which by all accounts is a very sad 
very heartbreaking tale of two yes. young men who, if what they're saying is true, were sexually assaulted over a long period of time by Michael Jackson. But there is, in fact, a very clear case being made by the documentarian to tell a story. What be that story true or right. false, they're shaping a story and that does ultimately have a, an effect on the way that we understand what's happening out in the world. Yeah. It's, 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 it's got its framing devices. And look, I, I knew when I came on the show, I was like, do I really want to talk about this? Because <clears throat> I definitely, <laughs> listen, I've definitely talked to friends of mine who are like, no, I saw that documentary and that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, again, I, would, I will point out that it is one documentary and I feel like you have to look at a lot of evidence. Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody who I, who I respect a lot, you know, because he's a public figure, I'm not going to use his name. I actually know public figures on both sides of this argument, but what I told him still remains true. I think that Michael Jackson was maybe inappropriate. Yep. I mean, like I, again, I wouldn't allow my children to those kind of situations, but like, and you shouldn't, (laughs) and I wouldn't, and I would not, but I think it takes a step further to go as far as to say that this man was, was, sexually assaulting uh, yeah. people. I, th- I just think that that's just a, a step so far. Um, and that's not to say anything against the people who bring those charges, because obviously I think that everybody who brings the charges needs to be heard. But I do think that, you know, similar to some other high profile cases, you know, I need to see the evidence. And when I see the evidence in this case, you know, falling apart upon like very almost Google, Google a bull, you know, research, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just makes me think, is this evidence legit? Well, I think I think you said something really important in this, and it, it's sort of how you, you kicked it off, is that I don't know that even personally I'm maintaining that Michael Jackson is like a peer of heart. Like, I, I don't <laughs> I don't see him as an innocent man as much as I don't, right. I'm not 100% certain that every crime he was sort of charged with or or accused of is in fact one that should be placed on him forever and always. Not just that. I even say that, you know, before people just say, oh man, God, this guy really likes Michael Jackson. I'm not the biggest Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> can I just, can I put that out there? This is not, <laughs> I'm not the guy who had a thriller poster on the wall walking around with a glove. I definitely was I definitely was the guy who thought that he had some man albums, you know, <laughs> as time went on. I love that your instinct was like, let me be clear. I, I want to distance myself from the music, not the man. <laughs> it's the music I'd like to distance no, myself from. <laughs> Michael Jackson had an amazing run. OK, he had an amazing run as a kid. Yeah. And, and, you know, Bashir and I always joke about like, you know, do we have to cancel the kid, too? Can we not even listen to Jackson 5? Yeah, <laughs> Little Michael. We can't love Little Michael <laughs> little, anymore. Little Michael, if anything, was an absolute victim. And that's sure. nothing funny about that. But uh, <laughs> but, you know, like. I'm not. I'm, I just want to make it very clear, guys. I'm not making this case because I want to go back and listen to a bunch of Michael Jackson songs. And right. I've been a DJ since I was in college. Ninety percent of Michael Jackson's catalog, I probably never need to hear again in life. It's like "Hypnotized" by Biggie. It's like "Electric Relaxation" by A Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. As a DJ in the '90s, there are certain songs that they might as well be "Respect" by Aretha Franklin. I don't hear a song. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. good by by James Brown. There's certain songs I don't hear the song anymore. That's you know what I mean. Like I got to hear a song that I haven't heard ten thousand times in my lifetime. So no, I'm not fighting for my right to hear "Beat It" 
I do I think <laughs> I do think there is something really fascinating about people being like, you know, th- there is an argument that people are making where it's like, I want to hear, I want to rock with you for the 188th <laughs> time this month. That is my right as an American. It's like, relax, dog. You heard it. it the song you ain't heard. going nowhere. It's exactly the way you remember it in your head. It's going to happen. No, seriously, I, there, I I feel like anytime I, I say how I feel about Michael Jackson, I feel like I'm put in a position where all of a sudden it seems like I'm defending my favorite artist of all time. I, I think that, you know, I loved Captain EO, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid, but like, I'm just not that guy. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm making a case because I like the artist. I'm actually making a case because I'm really big. It's a, I feel the same way about, you know, when our, our outgoing president says that there was voter fraud, like, OK, show me the fraud can't do it then i'm not believing you yeah you know with this one i would like to have you know maybe somebody has to do the counter uh leaving neverland and present that evidence (laughs) but even though there are a lot of people in neverland (laughs) (laughs) hanging out in neverland perfectly safe neverland neverland you are here it's like a map I think you you brought us into this via the Leaving Neverland uh, vehicle, right? And I'm I'm curious to know uh, how you felt in the in relation to like his earlier accusations, specifically like you know when when 1993 comes around and they're saying Michael Jackson is you know assaulting a young 13 year old boy. What are your thoughts then? Were you on the side of Michael Jackson? Were you in disbelief? Did you not care because you had heard enough of his music over at this point? Like where um, were you? Yeah, I should probably then? say that by 93, I feel like most people listening to R&B by that point had moved on from Michael Jackson. Like Michael was distinctly a a pop artist who you know, just he wasn't at the center of the culture anymore. So yeah. to a certain extent, it didn't, it didn't, I almost said it didn't rock my world <laughs> in either direction. <laughs> I'm just going to speak in Michael Jackson titles. Sure. Um, There's a lot of them. You got, you no, got I options. I know. <laughs> exactly. The you way know. you make me feel is you're a criminal, Michael. <laughs> and I am still dealing with <laughs> the man in the mirror. You're dealing with the man in the mirror. I want to see. I was waiting for you to try and slip in Liberian girl. I couldn't. Really I, listen, I couldn't get to a second one. I'm I'm not that quick, but we'll get there. <laughs> hey, listen, let me let me. Gosh, how serious do we want to get? Let me just go on the record as saying that as the survivor of not the worst abuse, but but there there was definitely there was a there was a weirdo on my street, and definitely he was yeah he was showing some of us kids some stuff that we didn't need to be seeing. So I mm-hmm. guess you could you could say that I'm a a survivor in that sense. Yeah. Um, and I've never, I've never said that in any interview anywhere. So it feels weird to, it feels weird to make that publicly known. Like there was a weirdo sure. on our street. He showed us like some, some pornographic cartoons. I'll never forget going to my mom and saying, Hey, look, there's a weirdo on the street. Like I, I am one of the main people who feel like there's no exception to the rule. Like if, if someone is doing inappropriate stuff with kids, I'm the father of three children. Yeah. I want that person mud stomped. You know what I'm saying? Right. I just, I feel like there's no, there's no pun. And and to a certain extent, I want them treated because I also recognize that like it's probably in some ways more of a mental illness, yeah, uh, than, than we used to. So so just physical violence against that person is probably not going to solve anything. I mean, like if anything, I would love us to figure out ways to treat people 
with those proclivities so that, you know, maybe we can do away with it like the measles. Well, I think (laughs) I think you're getting to something that's really important that often I think, uh, especially with celebrities, goes overlooked because we're constantly defending their artistry or defending like the goodness that we've built in our minds about who they are. Is that at the end of the day, whether Michael Jackson was in fact sexually assaulting kids or whether to his to his admission, he was just laying with them and, you know, having like sleepovers and shit he was an unhealthy person this is objectively it's not even up for grabs this is an unhealthy person who needed a type of treatment that people weren't willing to give him because they wanted to defend his character first or you know uh defend his music first and that's a problem yeah again i think that we should never make excuses or allowances for people because we like their craft you know, mm-hmm. uh, their craft is one thing, but, you know, again, these are children. These are the most vulnerable and we have to, you know, I, I, I can feel myself even getting more and more serious about this as, as we talk about it, <laughs> but it's just because I don't want anybody to hear the first five minutes of this conversation and be like, oh man. No, Lizzie, you're doing the right thing. I'm an idiot. Hey. And you should make sure that that's clear from the beginning of all and end of all of this. But I will say that that run this clip at the beginning of the interview and then run the rest. uh, We do do a cold open. Maybe I'll make it. I'll make it a real serious cold open because I don't I don't need the hate. I don't need the hate. I will say that even to the point you're making, the idea of like needing to protect the innocent, a lot of times what we do is like, well, he made this amazing song, so I need (laughs) to defend that. And it's like, bro, that kid he hurt might make a better song. Let the kid grow up to Let go make a, a thing that you might also appreciate, maybe more than anything Michael no. Jackson did. I, I, I would refuse anybody who ever defended Michael on the base of his music now to go back to the crux of the show which is about conspiracy i don't know i don't think that there's like a cabal you know at sony records that's like well we really want to get him to sell the catalog to the beatles so Uh we're gonna bring him down i don't i don't think it (laughs) operates like that yeah this may be less of me believing in a conspiracy theory and more of me believing that the conventional wisdom might be overlooking some stuff i think it's very easy for south park and other people in our field like to punch at Michael Jackson because he's the easiest of targets, right? Well, like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's he's black. By the way, he's dead. So yeah. again, really easy target. <laughs> he can't swing uh, back at all. <laughs> that's a, Michael being alive with, with Tupac. That's not my that's not my <laughs> wheelhouse. But I I do believe that uh you know I think it was very easy for the industry to believe it because he did come across as sort of like a weird person. I do think that there are people in society who are they might just be sort of asexual. And mm-hmm. I think that, again, that's why I think that Michael having been robbed of his childhood really did, you know, in his rich man bubble, because yeah. we know the rich man bubble's a thing, you know, convinced himself that it was normal for him to have sleepovers. Like he was eight, like the rest of the kids. Yes. Um, I think, I think too, that Michael's choices were very clearly informed by the childhood he lost. And whether yeah. or not he then and, then, goes and he on. didn't have anybody in his life to sort of intercede and be like, "Nah, Mike, don't do this." You know what I mean? Like, right? I I feel like the families, the Jackson family, is so big, and I and I don't know any of them personally, but I just I I wonder why. <laughs> I'll put it like this: uh, Marlon Wayans is a good friend of mine, and I'm always impressed by like whenever you see the Wayans family together, yeah, like they are constantly keeping each other in check, like. 
you know, there's no way that any of them will ever become a true weirdo because they all just kind of check one another. Sure. And, I, and I find it hard to believe that the Jackson family, that there wasn't somebody in the Jackson family, but maybe it was the <laughs> maybe it was the original Jackson. Well, who, you know, so here's everybody you know, talking. Here, about it, talk here's about the it. problem is that uh, is that with the Wayans family, to your point. They've all yeah. uh, in various ways gone on to do things for themselves and make awesome shit. So when they have a conversation, they're checking each other almost at not as equals, but sort of closer to equals. But the, the issue is Jermaine didn't make Thriller. <laughs> and so he has to kind of shut the fuck up <laughs> when the conversation kicks in. Do you know what let's, I mean? Let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about it. Like <laughs> nobody listened to Randy. You know, the, right. the Marlon Jackson, like he, he barely had bass bass in his voice, apparently. Like, you know, nobody was listening to anybody else. No, that part is true. I also think just to, again, I feel like there's not even a funny point. It's probably just a real point. There's a big difference between how Powell Wayans, the the patriarch, mm-hmm. uh, raised an amazing family yeah. of sort of well-adjusted individuals. And then you got Joe. And I think that it's understood <laughs> that Joe... You know, he produced Michael and Latoya. And I mean, like, I feel like Rebe must have just been ducking stuff. Yeah. Because she seemed to come out really normal. And Centipede is a classic. So if, <laughs> if, if, if y'all ever come for Rebe, I might defend her on the basis of music alone. You have, <laughs> to be clear, you've defended Rebe for her music harder than you've defended Michael for his. And that's Centipede stunning. Centipede is a classic, man. Centipede, listen. Yeah, don't, don't say nothing bad about Rebe. I won't take it. <laughs> I think I think exactly to the point you're making. Joe I need Jackson. Reeves, this is it. I need Reeves, this is it. Sure. Like, let me see how she pulled together her album. Joe Jackson <laughs> created a toxic environment that ultimately was guaranteed to turn people into difficult figures. It doesn't matter whether or not we see them as monsters or heroes. None of that matters. The point is that type of environment doesn't allow somebody to grow up uh, normal and healthy as we sort of like have standardized those words. Yeah, I think, listen, you know, his tendencies as a father have have greatly helped our music collection. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But I do feel like it did did leave a trail of destruction. In, uh, and he turned lines. himself into a kitty cat before he died. He looked like a, a goddamn human kitty cat with through all those surgeries <laughs> with, the, and, with the hat and the, yeah. and the makeup. It's like, so, you know what? <laughs> how did this? Man. How did this cute kitty cat do such horrible things <laughs> to this family of of children? That's all. You know, black Hello Kitty walks into the room. You don't assume <laughs> that he's a monster. So, and by the way, again, this is sort of us going off of what we've been told. You know, but by but here no the kitty like cat part is fact. That's that is we have our eyes. That's objectively true. We're gonna believe our lion eyes on that one. <laughs> but uh, you know, I it's funny, man, because nowadays I, I feel like as time goes on, I sort of start to question some of the things that I've heard about famous people in general. Like, because mm-hmm. you know, you understand how things can get exaggerated or just made up. Like, you start to understand that. You know, some of the things that we've been told all our lives might not even be true. Yeah. But I do feel like, you know, again, with the with the Joe Jackson thing, I feel like there's enough evidence to back it up. And mm-hmm. with the Michael Jackson stuff, it just, you know, even going back to 93, there was always a part of me like, well, maybe there's a way to prove it totally. You know, yeah. again, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's dicey because as is often the case with sexual abuse, it does come down to a case of, you know, this person said versus this person said. So it's it, you may not get the nice, clean evidence that you 
see. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's why documentarians who do documentaries like Leaving Netherland don't mess up two or three key facts because then it it's just like if you're in an argument and, and people you you might be making the best point you've ever made, but if you throw out a statistic and somebody immediately debunks that. It just throws shade on everything else you said. Right. And especially now, I think we live in a society where people are constantly trying to find ways to delegitimize basic evidence or or delegitimize basic arguments. And so to that point, if if you're being irresponsible in the way that you're presenting information that you know to be true or false, then you're going to be held accountable and maybe not in a way that's fair always. That like these leaving Neverland documentarians very well could have been making a very valid case against Michael Jackson. Yeah. But by omitting huge sections of information for their own wants, you're basically opening yourself up for people to be like, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to (laughs) listen. Fuck it. Yeah. And by the way, you know, that that to me, that train depot story that they tell in there. Mm hmm. It, it it just sent me right out, you know, like to know that that wasn't true. It just sent me right out. And it's almost like <laughs> to go back to true crime stories and, and Dateline, you can tell that in COVID, I can watch Dateline because it just it's real people. That, that That's the part yeah. that I can't get over. And the thing on Dateline, it, it happens like every five episodes or so. There's always like the prosecutor who didn't introduce a piece of evidence that he knew about. That kind of like, you know, this guy is guilty, Uh but there is a piece of evidence that like, you know, would not help your case. And eventually the defense finds out about it and they bring it forth. And then the whole sentence gets tossed out. Right. And then all your hard work is done. So, you know, if anything, I would just say, you know, just fact check and then double fact check. Uh, My wife and I have been watching a shit ton of uh, Unsolved Mysteries, right? So good, right? Love Unsolved Mysteries. And and the thing, (laughs) and I'm sure you'll feel the same way, the thing with Unsolved Mysteries, almost every episode is the police ain't shit. Like the entire, (laughs) that's always the thing. Yes, he murdered her. Yes, he stole these things. It's always, the things they're arguing are never false, but the police weren't shit in every single episode, which means that this evidence doesn't get uh, taken care of the way it's supposed to or found. And then ultimately this person is missing forever and always because y'all didn't do your jobs. (laughs) By the way, you bring up a funny point because my wife, I'm always like, let's watch us solve mysteries. And she she gets frustrated because, you know, she's like, I, I I prefer mysteries that get solved. You know, like, that's her <laughs> big thing. Like, she's just like, I can't take this because I, now I want to sure. know what happened to Alonzo Brown. Yeah. By the way, speaking of Alonzo Brown, they're finding out information about a lot of these cases. Yeah. I think that, uh, so, you know, like, I I love a good unsolved mystery, man. That, that, that's, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, just to, but by the way, about unsolved mysteries, even they're, you know, they have different directors for every episode. And this uh-huh. goes back to Finding Neverland, which is that there are episodes of that show where I can tell that they're trying to get me to like a person, where I can tell, though, that like I would not like this person. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll gloss over something, but you can read between the lines. There was one episode where it was very clear to me that the guy was kind of a war hawk. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he was in government, he was kind of a war hawk. And they kind of, and I'm, by the way, would not suggest that because he's a war hawk, he should die. But I'm just saying that like, there was sort of like a, a strain of like that old fashioned sort of pre-Trump George W. Bush. Uh, he was a patriot. You right. know what I mean? Like they, they were kind of going, and I was like, eh, I know. it sounds like he was, it sounds like he was, you know, trying to topple 
democratically elected government. Yeah, I know exactly. I know exactly which episode you're talking about. It's the one where the dude like they have all that footage of the dude wandering off and then he magically is sort of like found in that in that uh big trash yeah, dump in the in the dump in yeah the, in the, the dump in the, in the landfill and to that point i totally agree they go they skip past a whole bunch of like <laughs> the murders and atrocities that he was probably a part of throughout all of the 90s and 2000s just to be like he was a retiree he believed in america and it's like yeah but yeah. come on dog he wasn't innocent this ain't he a- was not in and by the way they were sort of hinting that like maybe because he had helped CIA operatives overseas that maybe somebody had gone to. I was like, to me, this looks like a man who is suffering from a mental breakdown. Or mm-hmm. Like it was, it was so obvious to me. Like, and you just got the sense that nobody in the family, <laughs> nobody <laughs> in the family could admit to it. No, I'm laughing because now I'm realizing <laughs> that we could, you and I could easily do an a, a Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Totally hey, listen, I, as soon as we crack this Michael case, we're, we're turning this bad boy around. Yeah. Heat it back I, up, Olivia. We got one more round to go, and it's about unsolved solved, mysteries. Hey, solved mysteries <laughs> with Lexi right. and Diallo. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more Diallo Riddle and more My Mama Told Me. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T. 
who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. How is my man supposed to schmeet his meat with this shit, bro? What the fuck? Yeah, we're back here with more Diallo Riddle, more my mama told me. We're still talking about Michael Jackson and the possibility that he might, in fact, be innocent kind of of the crimes that he's being accused of yeah let's be clear innocent <laughs> of the crimes that would get him locked away not necessarily being the most healthy no he's not a healthy person and he yeah. certainly uh you know has a lot of things that he probably needed help unpacking that nobody could but maybe he didn't do it <laughs> maybe he did who the fuck cares the man died 10 years ago at least <laughs> yeah it's been 10 years it's been at a least. decade that's amazing. That, that doesn't quite feel like a decade to me. But then when I think about where I was 10 years ago, then it's like, oh, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. OK, let's let's get into some of this research, because I do think to the point that you were making about the way that celebrity sort of controls our interpretation of the things that are happening out in the world. One of the things that I, I immediately sort of like latched onto in sort of doing this research was the massive amount of celebrities that came out even after the Leaving Neverland documentary to defend Michael Jackson. There were still like <laughs> shit tons of people. So that included Corey wow. Feldman, Macaulay Culkin, Geraldo Rivera, Kanye West. Wait, hold on. No, sorry. Corey <laughs> Feldman. No, seriously, I have, a, I, have quite, I have kind of an obsession with Corey Feldman because oh, I please. do feel like, listen, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim it's a function of my age. Like those were my heroes growing really? up. They were they were in my, you know, not the same way like Martin Luther King. I, was, I didn't have like a, they have like a mural on the wall with like Malcolm, you know, Michael, <laughs> Martin, and uh, I want to believe. I want to believe that you had a painting in your house with uh, Malcolm X baptizing Corey Feldman while Martin Luther King watched on like that Tyrese painting. With Corey, with the other Corey. Uh, The other Corey Corey Um, is in heaven watching this all down. You know, every 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 black screenplay writer I know has that, you know, Martin and Malcolm script in their back pocket. But Uh, what about a what about a Corey's from a black point of view? I don't even know. The Corey's. The brothers Corey. The brother Corey's. you know, they were coming up in Hollywood when it was severely messed up for child actors. And I do yeah. think that, uh, and I, you talk about, is it even a conspiracy theory? I, I believe everything that Corey Feldman says about, you know, some powerful person in Hollywood who was, who was basically going from set to set abusing the child actors. I believe yeah. that. Cause I don't think that he, I don't think that's something that a, anybody would ever make up. That's what's fascinating about the Corey Feldman of it all. And, and granted, I also think that he falls in the category of somebody who is unwell. But I, yeah. I think what's fascinating is he he has been somebody who's been very open and honest about the, the experience that he had getting sexually assaulted as a child and remains to this day somebody who's like, but Michael ain't do that to me. Michael was he he left me. That wasn't our energy. Like, he was like, that was, that was not, he was like, that wasn't the problem. He was like, Mike, Michael just wanted to be <laughs> one of the kids. But then there were definite abusers out there. And yeah. he says, that, you know, 
they messed up Corey Haim for life, which is tragic because I do go back and I watch movies like The Lost Boys and some of their other movies. And I'm like, man, I used to watch Corey Haim and, and Feldman work. And to me, this was comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid who played Chunk in The Goonies, like that was comedy to me. I, I go back and I look and I, I he's a lawyer now. He's a lawyer. He's about <laughs> him, him and him and Short Round, uh, aka Data, uh, the Asian actor, like they just bounce from the industry. Yeah. But what's ki- what kills me is that, like, I watched how they deliver some of their lines, and I'm just like, oh yeah, gosh, you know what? As a kid, and maybe even as an adult, if I ever say those words, that's typically how I say them because it got so ingrained in me. Like, so when I say they were my heroes, like they were the kids who made me laugh. Yeah. And to think that they were going through that torment really just makes me sad. So yes, Corey Feldman. You know, he he defended Mike. He was like, Mike was not the problem. Yeah, and and even, you know, other defenders, Macaulay Culkin, when asked about it, basically uh, said that, like, there was never any incident between them. Yeah. And then people asked, like, well, what do you do with the fact that you were, in fact, sharing a bed with a man who was 22 years right. your senior? And he said, and this is a point that makes sense to me now as an adult, is like, and not in the way that I think they were right to share beds, but like it makes right. sense as an argument. He was like, hey, that was my peer. I w- who was I can't hang out with my classmates. Right. I'm a, the most famous child on this planet Earth. So Michael was closer <laughs> to like a work colleague than anybody else I could have. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, where Macaulay's parents were. I mean, like, again, that's why I've always said that, like, it's not that I think Michael's innocent. I think it was grossly inappropriate on Michael's behalf. Yep. Super questionable judgment. I would cancel my friendship with another parent if I thought that they were allowing their child to do that. Don't. You know what I'm saying? And like, I think that's that's so important. That's the degree to which I am not here to say the man's innocent. I'm just I'm actually arguing a very small point that not everybody who's inappropriate is trying to do specific you know, the specific things that were alleged against them. And that's, yeah. that's the and only I, thing I'm here to say. And I, I think even more important <laughs> what you're saying is like there are so many people who were consenting parties in whatever yes, this who, behavior who was. His yes. parents, uh, agents, managers, a lot of people were helping to book these flights to Orlando and, and block out trips to Disney World <laughs> so that these boys could spend a day with Michael Jackson, regardless of whether or not they believed or didn't believe that he was committing some sort of crime against these Listen, children. Listen, I, I, let me be very clear. These parents are the Camille Cosby of the <laughs> Michael Jackson <laughs> scandal. <laughs> Sorry, Camille, but you came downstairs a few times. You had to see some stuff. Camille, you fucked up, and we're calling Camille. you on your bluff, Camille. We know what you're up to, you sneaky oh, old lady. And, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, like that's a family... I fu- I hated to find that out because, like, you know, my father was a painter. Mm-hmm. In a good year, he could sell a piece to a Sidney Poitier. Cosby bought some of my father's art, like, in around, wow. like, 69, 69, 1970. Camille's brother owned a gallery in Santa Monica, I want to say. And he was not a friend of the family, but, like, he was close enough that, like, anytime he had an exhibit, my father's pieces were almost always up on the wall. And... We would go in there and it was just, it was fun to hang out with Eric. Your brother's name is Eric. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, they were such a outstanding family that, you know, and, and for a long time before he decided to come out against black youth in the mid two thousands, like it was just so cool to just think of, it, it was what Cosby represented. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like to the community. And I think to that point, this and it really goes back to what we were talking about earlier is yeah. if we need to start working on a way of removing that level of like desire and want from our psyches, right? And the way that we see celebrities and see these big name people, because at the end of the day, that was just a family. It was just a uh, man, <laughs> his wife their kids, their fa- like, and that, that doesn't mean that he's good or bad. And unfortunately we later find out not good. He falls really on the side not of good. not good. Like that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I feel like there's so many good families and they're actually, so, you know, I, I feel like I know a couple, there are a lot of decent people who are really famous and really wealthy. There are a lot mm-hmm. of good, you know, decent people. It's just when you find out somebody who's an icon and I mean, by the way, the eighties, if you, <laughs> If you had gone in a time machine to 1984 and pointed at like the biggest, you know, celebrities of time, Bill Cosby, Prince, Michael Jackson, you were like, one of these people is never really going to have a sex scandal. Prince would have been not on anybody's (laughs) list. You know, it just goes to show that like you don't always know what's going on in people's life, no matter what persona they put out there. Exactly. We would have all assumed Prince was the freak. And it turned out that uh, he wasn't at all. Yeah, you mean that dude uh, in a mesh in a mesh tank top is yep. going to be the most decent of the three and, of them? Black lingerie on the back of Dirty Mind album, like yeah, exactly. That that guy is pretty damn normal. He doesn't smoke, drink, drug, and uh, he's Jehovah's Witness. Like, yeah, he's, he's probably going to knock on your door and uh, try to tell you about uh, getting into heaven or and not eternity. celebrating your birthday. Yeah, yeah but exactly. otherwise, he's actually a pretty cool guy. He's a really cool guy. Um, I'm sorry. We, we, we strayed from our mission. But no. Let's, I, just, I, I had to jump out. There. Let's get into some of the hard facts. And hard let's facts talk about the hard means facts. nothing. Wade Robson, who was one of the, yeah. the two accusers in the Leaving Neverland documentary, testified in the 2005 trial against Michael Jackson, where he maintained that Michael never demonstrated any inappropriate sexual behavior with him. Now. In 2011, however, Robson approached basically the co-executor of Michael Jackson's estate and asked about directing the Cirque du Soleil production of Michael Jackson and was later turned down by the estate for the position. A year later, Robson then comes out with his book or at least attempts to come out with a book alleging the sexual assault from Michael Jackson. And so to your point, this is one of the things that doesn't really come up in the documentary is the number of times that Wade, I think they mentioned that he flip flops, whatever, whatever, but they're not mentioning sort of like the details in which sort of potentially could be leading to his change of heart regarding Michael's behavior. Yeah. And, you know, again, let me be very front people you know survivors of sexual abuse change their story a hundred times so you know like obviously he could have been covering for those years and you know in the year after michael died he might have thought you know i'm going to take something negative and turn into a positive by you know because i think you know even he would probably still recognize the genius of michael's just purely his dancing craft and he probably Mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of that on um you know which i've seen that show and it's actually a really good show (laughs) Um, so I'm not, (laughs) but Hey, that's not why I'm here to defend you. Uh, (laughs) I I want that to be your big conclusion. Listen, (laughs) the circuit de Soleil show is, uh, that's, I have to defend. I'm not here to defend the Beatles, but I love love. I'm not here to, no, I think that, uh, I want to be very, I don't want to be a boring guest, but I want to be, make it clear. 
I'm not even here to attack Wade because I don't know what the man has seen. And there is definitely a world where they got some of their facts wrong in that documentary. And this man needs all our sympathy and all our all our heart well, because I, of what he's been through. And and you I know? think to that point, to exactly the point that you're making, there is a very clear chance. And it's not even a chance. It's a high possibility that Wade is the victim of a type of trauma that he repressed these memories. He repressed mm-hmm. these feelings. He was still thinking yep. about Michael as a uh, figure who he loved and cared about and didn't want to disappoint. And that allows him to go into the trial and say, this person didn't hurt me when in fact he did. And to, and even uh, even say that, like, you know, Corey felt he might have never tried anything with Corey Feldman. He might have never tried anything with Macaulay Culkin. He might have never tried anything with anybody. But the two people, you know, in the documentary, you know what I'm saying? Because in a weird way, maybe if you want to ascribe to him, like, you know, sinister thoughts, they're not famous like those other people. You know what I'm saying? So, like, there's definitely a world in which he did it one time and one time is far too many. So, you know, again, I, I to me, I think your point is actually more valuable in the sense that, again, if the documentarians knew something like the facts that you are bringing up, they should probably throw that in there so that it doesn't seem like they're cherry picking their evidence. Yes. And I think that's the larger point here is that yeah. and you made it from the beginning that this really should just be about full transparency and allowing yeah. people to make their choice from there. And unfortunately, and this is where I sympathize with the people making the documentary, is that at the end of the day, even if you do give people the full evidence, a lot of their choices are being made based off of celebrity and the wants that they have for these people more than an honest, objective look at the facts that are laid in front of them. So like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, cherry pick because y'all niggas wouldn't going to believe me anyway. So (laughs) here we go. Right. Uh, A fun and fun is a heavy word in this conversation, but a really interesting. uh, I should should have picked a conspiracy theory that involved like, you know, people who, we're terrible people, but go ahead. Listen, we've had to do OJ. We've had to do uh, R. Kelly. He ain't the worst, I think. <laughs> but one of the more interesting. See, I think R. Kelly. Well, see, now, now I'm speaking on famous people who I've also never met. I, I believe in an R. Kelly's case. Like, I just don't think in that case, the dates add up. The girls have said what they said. Like, you know, I'm just like. Where's the evidence that it's not true? You know, right. I mean, like in, in R. Kelly's case, I'm just like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not with that. But yeah, anyway, I don't think me. most people are defending. Anyway, the, one yeah, of yeah. the the more interesting arguments that Michael started to make in regards to what was happening from the 1993 case all the way to the 2000 case was about this dude, Tom Snedden. Do you know who Tom Snedden is? Have you heard of him? I do not. He is the prosecutor on both cases. So the prosecutor for the 1993 case that's eventually thrown out that Michael Lynn has to pay like $20 million of, uh, you know. To who? Who did he have to pay to? To the kid and his family. Basically like saying like, hey, you know, to get rid of this, to make this go away, let's I'll give you money and we'll we'll squash. Right. That's what happens in 1993. But then Michael makes the argument that Tom Snedden, who was that prosecutor, builds this vendetta against him that he wants. Mm -hmm. He like spends the rest of his the 90s and 2000s trying to find a way to take Michael down. And so Michael says, and this is an argument he makes, that Tom Snedden, in fact, in like the early 2000s, leaks up with Tommy Mottola, who was the head of Sony Music at the time, to intentionally tank Michael Jackson's career. And so when 
the Invincible album comes out in like, you know, early two, I think it's like 2003, whatever it is, and it doesn't do well. And it sort of just isn't selling the way that Michael Jackson albums are traditionally sold. Michael yeah. claims that it's because Tommy Mottola is not giving the right marketing, is like strategically working against Michael uh, in, in an effort to basically see Tom right. Sneddon's ultimate destruction to the end. <laughs> okay. Here's where I think I could I could win some people who probably hate me back. Nobody uh, hates you. You're doing fine. I don't think I don't think anybody. <laughs> I I hate to hear, uh, and I hear this all the time. There's nothing worse than somebody saying that like the reason that they're not getting the marketing money for any creative project mm-hmm. is the result of a grand conspiracy that starts with like the DA's office. Like that sure. kind of stuff <laughs> is absurd to a whole another degree. I'll, I'll tell you right now, there is a project that Bashir and I have worked on. I'm not going to say which project it is because I'm not Dave Chappelle and I can't call anybody out. <laughs> but like the marketing was so not what I wanted it to be. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like I just thought, you know, you put more people. This is one of our shows. And I feel like both of our shows. I feel like Southside and Sherpa Showcase. I don't feel like either of these shows have ever lost a fan. But I do think that in both cases, quite honestly, I think it's okay to say, I think in both cases, more could have been done, more can be done to let people know that these are shows that they should watch. A hundred percent. And I, yeah, you know, like I, the people who watch Southside reach out to me all the time. And they're just like, I think this is the funniest show. And why am I not hearing about it the same way I'm hearing about some other shows? And yep. the same with Sherman Showcase. They're like, this show is so funny and different. You know, I don't know why I have, because we were on IFC. Now we're on AMC. It might be a completely different ballpark. But because that's a much bigger station. But like, you know, I'll even take it a step further. I won't say, but there's a very famous writer producer in this business who a lot of people who aren't even in the business know because, you know, he or she is just, you know, they're just very, very big, prominent. They're very unhappy right now uh, with the way that their new shows are being marketed. Yeah. And, you know, marketing dollars are what people compete for at Netflix. So you'll get like a Ryan Murphy. And I'm trying to think of somebody I don't know. <laughs> but Ryan Murphy is somebody else I know. That they'll they'll literally be like, How, you know, you got to promote my show. Yeah. Like, don't depend on just the algorithm. Promote the show. And they're 100% right. Marketing money is the hardest thing to come about. These marketing, they are not getting phone calls from the deep state saying, you got to sync the next season of, you know, Love is blind because we're not happy with somebody else. Well, that's not I, I that think, ain't how the business works. I think that's a fair point, but I will add that Michael Jackson also maintains that Tommy Mottola was a racist, and that was part of his uh, enthusiasm. Two things can be true. <laughs> it, it was part of his enthusiasm in joining uh-huh. forces with Tom Sneddon in the first place. That he's like a a racist. Well, Tommy Mottola, that was Sony, right? That was Sony. He was the head of Sony. See, I, I think that Sony had a little bit of it in for Mike just because yeah he had he had formerly been one of their biggest artists but then at some point he became like this you know giant albatross for them and i do think that you know because it's not like you can pay him way less money for a new album you know what i mean like and and the people at sony argued there are executives at sony that argued hey man Maybe don't have so many scandals about pedophilia and we can put more money behind you in a way that that you would like. 
Now, you know it what? is it worth noting. It starts to sound less absurd. It starts to sound less absurd. I'll give you that. It is worth noting that there is a uh, news conference, a a uh, basically like a press conference that Michael Jackson hosts at one point with Al Sharpton and Johnny Cochran. I think Johnny's in the room, but he isn't up on stage. But it's Michael and Al Sharpton <laughs> on Johnny's stage. Like, hey, I'll be in the room. Hey. I'll be in the room. I'll be there in spirit, brother. You know what it is. Uh, but... <laughs> But he has a press conference where he and Al Sharpton are on stage, basically accusing Tommy Mottola and Sony and the music industry as a whole of being racist and sort of like strategically uh, corrupt against black artists. And at one point, this is my favorite thing, Michael refers to Tommy Mottola as a meanie, a racist and very, very, very devilish. That's that's (laughs) what he says. I'm telling you, man. I think to be rich, black, and mega famous in the 90s was to essentially, and I'm giving a lot of benefits of doubt here, but I think it was essentially to bump up against, you know, two things at once. One was on on the executive table, there were no black executives, Mm -hmm. unless you were like Andre Harrell or Puffy. Like, you were not going to come across. L.A. Reid was doing something at the time. Actually, Babyface might have been too. But there was, there were, there's a different generation, yeah. a different breed of white executives sitting across the table. So if you can imagine being sort of like a, a, a black and consciously black person having to deal with some of the nonsense and some of the some of the assumptions that the people you were dealing with across that table, I, I can hardly blame them for. I mean, just think about the number of people who went out and found the Nation of Islam to provide them security. Like, that was a thing back then. Like, yeah, it's like I don't trust off duty. LAPD? Are you kidding me? Like I don't. Nowadays, everybody hires the uh, off off duty police, but like sure. back then, like it was definitely like Ice Cube, Michael Jackson, Michael Tyson. Like everybody was was hiring the NOI. I can't even imagine they were reaching out to Al, but they, uh, Sharpton. <laughs> you know, like I, it's just I, I can't imagine what they were probably putting up with. I, I will the say there is something very ironic though of Michael Jackson at this point in his career. Sort of claiming <laughs> racism is the issue when he has been, and maybe it's because of the vitiligo, but he basically is now completely white. And everybody we know up to this point in your life has been a white person holding your hand, be it a sweet <laughs> little white boy or be it, you know, a uh, fucking the white <laughs> diamonds lady, Elizabeth Taylor, like every person oh. in your life. Uh, it, it, as far as your your inner circle goes as a white person. Now you're like, yeah, Tommy Matola is trying to take me out. He- <laughs> I think that um, was Quincy still in his life at this point. I think Quincy had probably moved. I think on. Quincy had moved on. I think Quincy. Had Diana Ross shit. was still there. I think Diana Ross is still there, but she's not necessarily in the popular no, zeitgeist. Listen, this is this is what I'm, there needs to be a term like for like. I feel like Kanye is in and out. It's the Calabasas phase of your yeah. life, right? Like <laughs> sure. you're basically living in a gated community <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of. Those parent-teacher conferences <laughs> at Pacific Palisades High School are, like, really intense. And I think that at some point, you're just like, oh, this guy drives a Model X like I do. Okay. All you right. Know? Well. He has some shared stuff in mind, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Apparently, you can only go in one of two directions. You're either going to go Nation of Islam or, you're, or, like, your entire circle is going to be white. And I sure. feel like there has to be a happy medium. Um, I'll tell you when I get there. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> hey, I'm looking for somebody to figure it out. Here's my favorite part. 
of this entire controversy that that happened is that Michael Jackson at one point was so angry and so sort of put off by what Tom Snedden is supposedly doing to him in his life, his career, that he in fact made a diss track against him. Uh, a diss track. I, I don't know Michael to do diss tracks. I feel like, you know what, I said I didn't remember, but now that I know the role that this guy plays in his life, now I'm absolutely, re- I feel like I could see this guy's, like he looks like one of those, like he looks like a Simi Valley type yeah. guy who's like really got it in. Well, Michael Jackson, but Mike, go ahead. Michael I, I, makes it, to sound familiar. Michael makes a diss track that go, ends up on the History album called, uh, where it's called DS, and it refers to a guy named Dom Snedden because he didn't want <laughs> he didn't want to get in trouble. He wanted, he wanted to do a sub subtweet. <laughs> exactly. So he has a full song about an evil man named Dom Snedden, and the Hilarious. chorus of the song goes, "Dom Snedden is a cold man." Over and over again, he repeats, <laughs> Dom Snedden is a cold man. And that's how much Michael felt Dom Snedden, Tom Snedden, a.k.a. Tom Snedden, was trying to ruin his life and career. Somebody in that studio was like, Mike, we, we can make this a B-side. It can be on the like, single. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike was like, no, this makes the album. All right. This makes Michael, the album. Michael, just wait five years. There's going to be these things called mixtapes, and you could just put just it like, on there. <laughs> just let it go. Look, we'll give a dark child. He wants to work with you. Like, we don't have to put this on the album. He's like, nah, this has to be the first nah, track. this has to be. <laughs> exactly. Have you heard Shots Fired yet? <laughs> I love that. All right. We're going to take one more break, and we'll be back with more Diallo Riddle and more My Mama Told Me. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. 
I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And we are back. If you want to reach those kids on the street, then you got to do a rap to a hip-hop beat. So I gave my sermon an urban kick. My rhymes are fly, my beats are sick. My crew is big and it keeps getting bigger. That's because Jesus Christ is my nigga. Yeah, we're back here with more. What is that from? I, I feel like that's not the first time I've heard that, but what is it from? I don't know. I found it on YouTube and it's like, I think this like a uh, youth pastor type thing. Is it like a public access show? Yeah, it's like show? a public I've access show I've with a bunch of people trying to convince Woo! people to come to God, I guess. I can't tell if it's real or not. It's I, I love it more than anything. Fun fact, my whole first experience in television is public access because my brother basically ran public access in Atlanta. Oh, shit. Uh, and my brother's 21 years older than me. So my, my first time in a you know, TV studio, my first time on camera, all that stuff when I was eight uh, was because Tony was basically running People's, I forget what it's called, People's Network yeah. in Atlanta, which was our, our all access. Show. So you were just saying the worst of what television could be. And you were like, yeah. <laughs> I thought television was a dark, scary place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make with, this with better. No, with no props. <laughs> yeah. Just somebody in a black box theater saying horrifying exactly. things at 3 a.m. Yeah. I had a show called uh, Wild and Crazy Kids and me and my, ne and my nephew, who was obviously my same age as me because yeah. he was so much older and our neighborhood friend, we would get up there and just do like really low rent, you know, parodies of our favorite uh, movies and songs. <laughs> and it's amazing to me because I feel like that is exactly what I do at Sherman Showcase. Sure. I just do parodies of movies and songs. I've been doing it since I was eight. So there you but go. now you got some resources. Look at that. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Look, Look at God. I can afford two wigs and one <laughs> fake gun now. So life is good. Hell yeah. All right. Let's, let's play a game. I have a very fun okay. game that I'd love to play with you. This game is a little something I like to call Homemade Hotel. Homemade Hotel. Okay, the way that this game works, Diallo, I am going to introduce to you a true fact, a standard fact that is sort of understood in the world. It doesn't have to be a fact we all know, but it is, in fact, a fact. And what I would love for you to do is turn that fact into some hotep shit. Really flip it on its head and tell me all the deep, dark secrets that might be hiding underneath that fact that the world doesn't want us to know about. I'm here to spit truth. Yes, spit that truth. Go crazy. Here it is. The fact that I will present to you. It turns out that high heels were first designed for men 
that at the end of the 16th century, Persian-inspired style was all the rage in Europe and high heels were now being marketed to men and originally were marketed to men as a presentation of a man's virility and masculinity. <laughs> Talk to me about what's underneath that fact. Yeah, well, I mean, here's, here's, here's the honest truth. Is that Here's what they don't want to tell you. Those heels usually were sharpened to a, a bit at the end, mm -hmm. you know, like the heel part. Yep. And the men would walk over their uh, slaves and indentured servants in those <laughs> heels. That's how they kept them in charge. That's why I, I always tell, you know, we should not be, black women should not be wearing heels because that is a weapon. I mean, you wouldn't wear like, you know, whips and chains, like don't wear heels. That that was a weapon. I love that. That mask, don't yeah. do that. Mask is going to come in with his heely boots. And he, he gonna... <laughs> you, hear that, you hear that click, click, click? <laughs> oh, man. And now you got all these people talking about, I got red bottoms, the original red bottoms. Was the blood of the slaves that sure. they were walking? That's oh no! Crazy. Oh no! Masters on his catwalk. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> do you know? Do you know the real history of Louboutin? I Lou, don't. Tell me, Christian Louboutin, terrible slaveholder. Oh shit! Is that yeah. true? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm just here. I'm just here to spit the facts. God damn, Christian Louboutin! If I could say your yeah. name the correct way, I'd tell you you're the goddamn devil. I hate you. Yeah. There you go, man. <laughs> well, that was beautiful. You you nailed it. What a fun time. Diallo, can you tell the people at home where they can find you? What cool shit you have going on? Any of that? You know, Sherman Showcase is always on Hulu. You can watch season one. You can watch the Black History Month Spectacular, which I think is just, if you've never seen the show before, watch the Black History Month Spectacular. It's an hour long, but it's some of the best work that we've ever done. Um, so check that out on Hulu. More importantly, uh, to all the fans of Southside, Southside will be returning. Yeah. Uh, we'll be shooting season two. Uh, by the way, I want to, I want to say this on here. Uh, I need you in season two of Sherman Showcase too. We wrote a great comeback for Smokey Robinson. Oh, you beautiful. Are, you are our in-house Smokey. And, uh, it's a, it's a nice big chunk of an episode. So you're coming back for that. I but love it. For those of you who are real Southside fans, I mean, you got Alan Gale and Adam Bethune talking to one another. So see, clearly we're not enemies in real life, yeah. but you will see both of them in space. Like you will see so much of them in season two. I don't want to give anything away plot wise, but season two of Southside, we haven't shot it yet because of COVID, but if, uh, if this vaccine works and we can get enough of our cats <laughs> to take it, <laughs> that's a whole other conspiracy theory. Or is it really Tuskegee? Uh, if we can if get we can this get... black-ass cast of people <laughs> yeah. in Chicago to take a, an experimental drug, we can hey, make we a might, hell of a television show. We might have to get Barack himself to show up on set and be like, look, guys, I'm thinking of myself. Uh, we will shoot that in April and May and the first half of June. We will edit it in the summer and we will hopefully get that to you on HBO Max in the fall. And this is where you can actually, hey, if Dave Chappelle can get his stuff taken off of Netflix, I want you guys to pressure, email, text, whatever mm -hmm. you guys got to do to HBO Max. Let them know that you want to watch season one of Southside now. Right now. Right now. I think their I think their plan is that they want it to come on sometime during the summer. That is too long. That means it will be an off the air effectively for two years. We don't want that. Get it on HBO Max sooner. Let I I don't I don't know what their number is, <laughs> but you can you can DM you can uh, you can uh, I don't know leave comments on HBO Max postings, but tell them you want to see Southside on HBO Max sooner rather than later. It cost I don't think it costs them anything to do it, uh, and we would love to we would love you to have access to that. 
uh, on HBO Max sooner than later. You heard it here, folks. Go to HBO Max. Don't you dare watch Chappelle's show. You absolutely must request Southside <laughs> instead. Uh, yeah. Even though they're both made by the same monster that eats our souls, we're looking for this monster <laughs> to help us out and get Southside on the air. We just want people to see <laughs> the labor of our hard work. Langston knows this because he's one of our extremely talented writers. <laughs> we work so hard on Southside. It's a great and, show. And it's a great show. So just like if if you got to, just buy it on iTunes or Amazon. But sincerely, like, we just want you to see the show. So that's all. Yeah. And please follow Diallo online. What's your, your I'm, social I'm media? I'm simple. I'm just at Diallo. At Diallo. On Twitter and on Instagram. On Twitter and yeah. Instagram. So cool. So Six funny. letters. D-I-A-L-L-O. Hell yeah. And uh, as always, you can follow me at Langston Kerman on all of those things. And please, if you have any drops, if you have any cool uh, things you want to send us, you can send it to mymamapod at gmail.com. Feel free to like and subscribe and write mean comments if that's what you're into. Otherwise, (laughs) goodbye forever. Take care, guys. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.